Welcome to Tantra Talks. This podcast is brought to you by Tantra Labs and hosted by our CTO, Russell LaCour. Please note, all opinions expressed by Russell or our guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Tantra Labs, Inc. You should not treat any opinions expressed by Russell or our guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Hey guys, thanks for joining us on Tantra Talks today. I'm joined by my co-founder, Kagnar, also known as Kagan Atkinson. We're here to talk today about a lot of different things, mainly the market and kind of what we're seeing and what we are expecting, as well as uh, to Kagan's suggestion just a few moments ago, what we do and you know how long we've been doing it, I guess, and why we do it and how even maybe we got into doing this. So without further ado, thank you for joining me today, Kagan. Of course. Excited to kind of recap things. We have a lot of people coming through the new onboarding, and I'm sure that they would want kind of a fresh take on the podcast of how we generate yield and whatnot. So Tantra is an algorithmic prop desk. We mainly focus on quantitative algorithmic trading. So easy way to say it, we use math to trade and we use algorithms to trade. So one of the the biggest trades that we've done for the last few years is basically momentum-based algorithmic trading and quantitative analysis on the market. So, you know, understanding, is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? The probability of it. So we've been doing that for over three years now using Bitcoin and ETH as our denomination uh, and paying out our debts in those denominations. So when people give us or lend us Bitcoin or ETH, can you just briefly describe what happens to that, to those assets? Yeah, yeah totally. I, I think the easiest way to understand it, like the simplest way is Bitcoin and ETH are worth something. And so in essence, we borrow against them to trade them. So saying that sometimes maybe we'll say it's going up or sometimes we'll say it's going down uh, the same way that we might take that capital and yield farm with it. So go on a stablecoin swap or on ETHUSD swap or arbitrage. There's lots of different ways to make money in this space either denominated in Bitcoin and ETH and dollars. And so what we have done is use that collateral to do those different types of you know, money-making opportunities that exist in trading, uh, especially in crypto trading. Yeah, and to add a, a, a little bit different take, it, it's very similar to a house. If you have a house, you can basically get a loan against your house and go use that money to do something productive. So we do that on centralized exchanges and also decentralized protocols like Russ mentioned. Exactly. And one of, I guess, the way that we got started doing this. So I come from an algorithmic trading background. I started algorithmically trading stocks over six years ago now. And what enthralled me so much about crypto is it's just there's so much data and there's so much opportunity here. And when we got started, we wanted one to be a little bit different than everybody else, but also 
we ultimately believed in Bitcoin and subsequently Ethereum's ability to go up over time. And we realized that as these asset classes matured, the ability for us to use them as collateral uh, was growing. And we're seeing that with exchanges like FTX. Originally, we were very big on BitMEX and Deribit as well. All of them have let you use Bitcoin as collateral to trade for years now. And so that was where our bread or that is where our bread and butter is. Where I wanted to steer the conversation next was actually around the conversations that we've been having as a team and actually the charts that I've been linking a lot. Because I, I do think crypto's correlation to the overall market is something that's really important. So I, I do, I want to talk about this aspect of leverage and why I keep calling Bitcoin a highly leveraged tech stock. I, I mean, I, I know you see the charts. I link in the chat every single day. But one thing that I've been paying a lot of attention to as I hope that everybody follows Michael Burry on Twitter, just as like, you know, you don't take as what he says as the word of God, but it's, it's always good to have a contrarian. It's always good to have someone looking at things from the other end of the spectrum to keep you level-headed. And he put out some research recently that coincided with a lot of what I've been researching and, and putting out there, which is that Every dollar that's put into the stock market raises the value of the stock market by about $5. And I, I linked some other stuff about NFTs the other day where, you know, somebody swept the floor on Solana Monkey Business was what it was. They spent $1.25 million and they raised the value of the project by $50 million. And so just like in really simple terms, they created $50 million worth of value with a million dollars. So it's literally like you put a million dollars into a vending machine and the vending machine spits back 50 million out in theoretical value. You know, we'll use air quotes there. But that's something that actually happened and it happens every day in stocks. Every time somebody puts a dollar into the market, the market goes up $5. In Bitcoin, that and Ethereum and just crypto in general, that number is extremely exacerbated and exaggerated. And from what I can see, it's it's definitely like at least two to three times what you would see in the traditional markets, where every dollar spent in crypto causes the market to go up by 10, 20, uh, even $100 on some assets. And this can be broken down to, into a lot of different factors, anything from low float to quote unquote market manipulation to you know just nobody wanting to sell or even having the ability to sell. And I think it's something that everyone needs to be very aware of because as much as it's great on the upside, uh, it also means that on the downside, there's a, there's a long way to fall because as those people pull their dollars out, it's going to drop the value by the subsequent amount, right? If we go up by $10 for every dollar in, then we're going down by 10 for every dollar out. It's one of the reasons why the stock market crashes or pullbacks are so violent. Yeah, I think it just speaks to the liquidity of the asset and NFTs are on it. Honestly, if you want to understand markets, playing around in the NFT space is a really good place to start because you're seeing things on such a granular level that in the real world are just scaled up, you know, times a million. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you can't really market make NFTs at the moment, and it's going to be hard no matter what is why that, that leverage ratio or that 
market cap impact ratio is you know, a factor of 10 times what we what we see traditionally. Well, and let's talk about NFTs too, because it's something that I don't think we talk about publicly a lot, because I also want to get into you know, Solana, Luna, Ethereum, because we do, a, a lot of our original investors are were Bitcoin maximalists. I think some of them have changed a little bit. And, and this is, again, the whole narrative around normalizing, like Bitcoin and Ethereum are highly leveraged tech stocks. It, it's just important to understand and get out of this kind of religious mindset and just look at it for what it is. It, this is a protocol. It's a business. It's a it's a technology. And, you know, how does the market price those things? How does the market look at these things? Why why do they go up in value? Why do they go down in value? And at the end of the day, that's what we do, right? We're a trading desk. So we, we try to understand the value that the market is putting on something and why. And I, I, I totally agree with you. If you want to understand markets better, go get involved in NFTs and not, not the shitty ones. Go, go look at the blue chips, go to their discord channels, go talk to the community members, pay attention to what's going on. There's a lot of value to be extracted from understanding why, you know, the geckos, what are the, what are they called? The galaxy geckos went up 10 X yesterday. What we're really seeing is low float assets with uh, high net worth individuals getting involved. And the demand is so much greater than the supply. And you just get this. I mean, I mean, you were one of the original punk owners, or not not necessarily original, but definitely in it before that the hype really got in. And so you saw firsthand how as the cult of punks got bigger, the float or the people willing to sell them got lower but the people willing to buy them got higher. And so you just have an explosion of value. Is that what you would say happened in your experience? Yeah, I mean, you can see it on chain. It, I mean, with NFTs, it's a, it is different because you have to own the whole thing. So it's a, it's a little bit, it's not a direct relationship to what you see like with Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but the like, like if someone buys one, they don't want to sell it anytime soon. But if someone buys one Bitcoin, you know, maybe they take profit, uh, 10% profit every time the market doubles, but you can't do that with an NFT. And so you have this highly convex market where people are buying and holding because they can't, they can't participate without holding the entire NFT. When we've seen as they've been fractionalized that they tend to perform really poorly, right? So the fractionalization thing seems to be a little bit more of a meme where it's just kind of fun. It, it hasn't really gone mainstream. There's only a handful of truly valuable assets that are, have done it. Yeah, typically it looks like smart money is, is essentially dumping on uh, less sophisticated investors. Yeah, that, I don't think that the fractionalization of NFTs will do... I, I don't think it's going to add value for the holders. Um, one like would you want to own a fraction of the Mona Lisa Uh, I don't think so maybe you have a small portion of your portfolio in some type of fund that is fractionalized that has a basket of assets 
but yeah, generally, no, that takes all of the fun out of it. I think as we've begun to understand NFTs better, actually your fiance said it best and I think it really helped it click for me because I definitely was in the middle of the bell curve uh, when it came to NFTs for a while. I didn't get it. And so I just stayed out. And I still remember Kagan saying, you know, we got to go all in. I'm, I'm buying a punk. And I was just like, I don't get it. And what, punks were like three grand at the time? Nah, or no, like, they were more. They were like $20,000. Yeah, they were about 20000 and I just, I was like, I have no idea what this is and I can't spend, I did the same thing with the board apes. I saw them at four grand and I was like, I don't get this, can't do it. And I, upon talking to your fiance, she, she explained it in a really, really good way that just made it click. And it was just, we are moving towards a digital world and COVID has, you know, exponentially sped up that process. NFTs are a way to flex in that digital world, the same way that you might have a Rolex or a Ferrari in the physical world, you're gonna have a CryptoPunk as your profile picture in the digital world. And especially as we get assets and NFTs that replicate more equities uh, and securities, uh, as we're seeing, you know, like the board apes are dropping things you know, giving dividends to their holders. As we see more things like this, I do believe you're going to start seeing really, really valuable projects that continue to give value to their owners. And those owners want to brag about that, right? They want to be cool. They want to be a part of the community. They want to show off. It's really just human nature for people to be like, yeah, look at me. I'm rich and cool and powerful and at least to me that's how i've been able to rationalize and understand the nft space much much better yeah and i think a, a tangent to that is is more looking at the way people collect digital or uh physical things yeah instead of having all these things in your house where no one ever really gets to see them and you're you're still playing the game right you you have this community you're in the chat groups you're collecting these physical things you have specific people that have domain knowledge and you get to talk to them about esoteric topics and that's fun. That's part of the community, but it's very restricted by, you know, the physicality of it. But once you make it digital, you know, it explodes with reach. So now your community is a hundred times bigger. The market is a hundred times bigger. The trading volume is a hundred times bigger. And so it just makes it more fun. It increases the, the game. I think one, I'd like a good segue here too, because this is the the thing that I'm paying attention to the most. And I think that it's already happening and it is the most logical step for NFTs and it is the full blown metaverse. It's VR, it's taking your, you know, Fortnite allows you to use your CryptoPunk as a skin, right? I think would be the, the ultimate example where we are moving into a world where you will be purchasing digital assets and those digital assets will hold value because of the economy that exists in the digital sphere. And so, especially for me in my own personal portfolio, I, I do think a lot of gaming in particular is going to be really, really hot over the next four to five years, especially where we're going to see projects come out that will completely change the way that we 
think about video games and think about how like how value is perceived the same way that no one four years ago would have imagined paying a million dollars for a digital picture. I do see us going into a world where people are going to be spending millions of dollars for digital property, whether that's a spaceship or a house or land or a city in a virtual game because it will give them rights to something, whether that's bragging, whether that's, you know, an income stream through taxing citizens, whether it's power, whatever it is that there's going to be a value transfer that's going to happen through NFTs and through blockchain, through this digital world that's being created today. Uh, and I, I do, I think it's going to be a very, very large market uh, just based on how big gaming is today. Yeah, I've, I've played around with a few of them and, and bought some of the NFTs. It's, it's super hard to wrap your head around and not overthink it and put it into kind of the historical model. So I'm, yeah. I'm trying to just be hands off and just watch things play out and keep an open mind because yeah, I mean now it's like they're getting created in reverse where they used to develop the game and let people play it. And now you're playing the game before their games done develop being developed. Yeah. And so I don't know what that, you know, how that's going to play out long-term or it looks like it's working now, but we are certainly in kind of a, you know, a, a mania market, a bull market where you don't have to be super right as the, you know, developer. Yeah. yeah I, I think the biggest words of caution, wisdom, however you want to phrase it right now is like NFTs, especially uh, there's a lot of bubbles. There's a, there's a lot of really, really good innovative stuff happening, but there's also a, a lot of hysteria and a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of mispricing happening. And so, you know, especially if you're buying NFTs, if you're investing in things like axes and these blockchain games of the future, just really, really understand what the convexity of this project is. And what I mean by that, I'll actually use SushiSwap as a good example. You, know, you, can, you can value SushiSwap based on the transaction volume and the total value locked. So how much money is in Sushi and how much money is going in and out of Sushi every day. You can get a rough number of what the value of this project is if that kind of transaction volume continues the same way that you could value a video game that you could say, you know, the in-game economy is this much, there's this many people, they're paying this much. And so therefore the value of this game or token or whatever is this much. But what people fail to price out is the risk of failure in some capacity. So Sushi was an extremely convex asset when the market tanked going from $25 down to, I believe, around five at one point in the last six months, because as the market went down in value, the transaction volume went down in value, went down in value, and the total value locked went down in value. So all of these growth metrics that everybody was saying, you know, sushi is going to be this, 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 because everything's up 20% month over month. Well, now it's down, you know, 40% month over month and 
so we start to go, oh, okay, the value has dramatically decreased because the the whole market has effectively dried up, not only in value lock, but also in transaction volume happening. You're going to see a lot of similarities, I believe, in NFTs, in gaming, in all of these things. Axies, I think, is a really, really good example where if this market dries up, if people stop playing Axies because, you know, it's, let's call it, let's say it's a bad game or it's too expensive or they just can't get new users or nobody likes the game, the move down will be extremely dramatic because of the convexity of its profit. It's not something like World of Warcraft where, you know, it's going to slowly bleed over a few years. I, I think a lot of these projects will, will die very quickly. It'll happen over the course of a few months where they'll basically go down 70 to 80%. That sounds like the theme of your talks today or our talks is to have the correct expectations and that means in both and 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 that's heavily impacted by you know the timing of those so if if you're expecting gaming to take off in the next six months you're wrong if you're expecting bitcoin to become a currency that's widely used and stable in the next year you're wrong (laughs) <laughs> that that's a good way to put it. I think another way to understand it would be like if you're betting on these things, understanding the leverage of the bet is important. So if you're a hundred percent in the crypto market, I truly hope that you have some edge that is telling you it's a for sure thing. And whatever your timeline is, I, I hope that you're able to handle, you know, high leverage for that long. Uh, I, I think really just getting to the core of it. I don't think a lot of people are able to see their portfolio go up and down 20, 30% in a day, right? Like you wake up and you have 30% less money. And so just being able to position in a way where if you are right, right, this is what we've been talking a lot internally. It's like, if you're directionally right, but your timing is off or your sizing is off, you won't make any money. So making sure that you've sized in a way where you can survive an 80% drop or you can buy more on an 80% drop rather than selling the 80% drop because you still have conviction and whatever that trade is, is very, very important in this market. You know, buying a crypto punk because you think it's cool is a much better decision than buying a crypto punk because you think it's going to go up 100% in value because the guy who buys it because it's cool isn't going to give a shit if it goes down 80%. But the guy who is betting on it going up 100 is going to sell the moment it goes down 30. And we see a lot in NFTs. I've bought a lot of projects where I can see the the guy that's selling this to me is taking a 50% haircut, right? And two weeks later, it's back over what he bought it for. And so not panicking and being in a place where you can 
you know, take these kind of directional bets, but survive being wrong for the next three months or six months or five years, I think is really, really important. Yeah, I would agree. I, I don't think optimizing for a five year is realistic, but certainly the <laughs> three, six month and year year time frame. If you're wrong for five years, I think you I think you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I say five years, it's more like five crypto years, which is like three months. <laughs> and my receding hairline would agree with you there. No, I, I mean um five years in the sense of like we talk about this a lot. Like it, it's easy to say that five years from now the market will be higher. Right. It's it's much harder to say that three months from now the market will be higher. So if you have conviction in something five years from now, and to talk about like NFTs and gaming as an example, like do you think that CryptoPunks will be higher five years from now in value? I, I completely agree. Yeah. I, I think if you don't think that way and you're all in, like you're 100% in, I don't think it's going to be fun. That's and, – and I see that a lot. And I think what, I, what I've been seeing a lot is people that – position in a way where like if you're wrong you're out right and i just hate to see it like i hate to see people position that way it's like for me personally like i have so much conviction in crypto that if i were to take and like okay my my biggest personal bag is luna and solana right and if i were to take a 80 percent haircut on those projects i wouldn't sell them Unless there was something fundamentally wrong. But like if the stock market went down over the next 12 months, like we just went straight down into a recession for whatever reason, I would still hold those projects based on my understanding of their value in you know this future world economy. And the same thing with Bitcoin and Ethereum. I would still hold them even if they went down 80% in value because of my understanding of this economy. But if you don't feel that same way, then you should not own, like you shouldn't be all in, in them. Or you're just going to end up selling and it's going to be really painful. I agree. We saw it on, I think, Luna the other day. It went from $36 to $22 in like a week. And then it went from $22 back to $40 within like three days. And... I just remember looking at that chart and being like, I feel so bad for anyone that sold this because I know the, that feeling of like you sold them. And, that, and that's a tough, tough emotion to process for a, a lot of people, you know, booking that loss and dealing with it. All right. So we talked about NFTs. We talked about gaming. We talked about correlation to the stock market. So let's talk about, let's talk about the next three months. I, I know like we literally just said it's hard to predict, but I want to talk about what we kind of expect to happen because the last time we had this conversation around the same time, you did say Bitcoin was going to 25K and we were trading at like 9,000 and you were right. So today Bitcoin's trading around 40,000 and we've got a lot of, wild cards out on the table uh, a lot happening in the world i don't think this much was going on this time last year we just had the election what, what are we thinking today what are we looking at well 
a lot of metrics are very strong. So there was two over $2 billion in private investment just in August, which means that all the smart money is doubling down essentially on this industry. Yep. We have a lot of on-chain data that suggests that people are you know, buying Bitcoin and ETH on exchange and moving it to cold wallets, which typically means that they are longer-term holders. We've got funding rates. So essentially the cost to get leverage to go long, essentially the lowest point or that they're at, they're at the, their default, which is around 10% a year. So that means that the market is not extremely levered, which is good. We have Lightning Network, just broke 2,900 BTC locked in cha- the channels. So it looks like El Salvador is actually using Lightning. So Lightning is getting some use. That's so good. Still a lot of room to go. Total value locked on Ethereum is at basically it's all-time high right now. So tons of usage happening on Ethereum as well. We've got L2s out on Ethereum. So basically... And working. And they're working. And these are being put to the test right now with 100th time that China has banned crypto. (laughs) It looks like a lot of these users are going to the decentralized services, which is really good to see. So I think that'll be a great case study. Amazing to see. That'll be a really good case study. I mean, it probably signals to regulators that they need to be smart about regulation or else they're just going to push it out of their purview and they're going to lose that control. Yep. So hopefully they're they're paying attention to that. Interactive brokers launched cryptocurrency trading. So this guy this CEO hated crypto for the longest time. He was telling people, you know, that it was rat poison essentially. And now his platform, which is probably the most used brokerage around the world, interactive brokers, you can now buy and sell crypto there. So essentially, everyone wants to get a piece of the action and all the attention now is on regulators in the United States. Yeah, so, and, I, and I'll add a few things to that too. We're seeing a lot of altcoins hit all-time highs and beyond. So from our you know, China bans Bitcoin dip to today, we're seeing altcoins higher than they were at that point in time, which shows that people are getting exposure to this market in a big way. Because a lot of, you know, we'll talk about Solana and Luna as examples. Like these are multi-billion dollar projects that have huge traditional names behind them, getting a lot of backing and a lot of technology is being built on them. Again, like we have to stop grouping crypto as its own thing. It is its own thing, but it is its technology, its financial technology, and it's it's being built in a huge way. It's being used in a huge way, and there's a tremendous amount of value happening and being you know created, stored, transferred, yielded, uh, to put it in a strange way, and thinking that it's all over for whatever reason, because, you know, the most authoritarian government in the world decides to ban a technology that's going to put them and their power out of business, I think is a really, really bad way to look at it. Short, short term, it hurt a little bit, but it literally proves the point of why this technology is necessary. As we talk about this, one, one of the things we've been talking about a lot is like, you know, how do, how do regulations happen? What do they look like? Who's going to get regulated first? Like who, who's the SEC going to go after? We have some ideas. We think, 
you know, places like BlockFi and Celsius have basically skirted the law in offering interest accounts the way that they've offered it, the same way that the SEC basically told Coinbase, like, you can't offer 4% interest on USDC, I think should tell you a lot about BlockFi and Celsius's business models because they're basically doing what the SEC just told Coinbase not to do. Definitely expect something happening there. Whether that is a good thing or a bad thing for the market, it's probably a non-event. Uh, the market probably is going to react poorly to it, but for the most part, it shouldn't do anything unless BlockFi or Celsius are underwater and start defaulting on debts, and then that could get ugly. Highly unlikely, though, from, from what we understand. The, the yeah, next... I, I would just say they're not skirting the law, but there there is a, there's always gray areas, and they're yeah. exploiting a gray area, and... The any type of action against them, which seems pretty likely at this point, will bite in the short term. But ultimately, they're going to bring it to court and hopefully define you know new areas for fintech because these laws are just they're they're too old. And I think that's a great point. From what we understand of the SEC and the way that these regulations will most likely happen, let's say BlockFi and Celsius are told like stop it's a fine and they stop it's not like BlockFi and celsius shut down go out of business founders go to jail type of event like they haven't committed fraud like what bitconnect did where it was effectively a ponzi scheme like BlockFi and celsius are legitimate businesses they're gonna fight it and it's not the it's not the end of the world they're productive businesses so the, the next thing is uh, stablecoin regulations, which I think it was A16Z. Yeah, A16Z just released kind of their guidelines for what they think stablecoin regulation should look like. We're seeing you know, Circle or USDCs trying to go public, Q4. And what does stablecoin regulation look like for the market? I think a lot of people are fearful of regulation for some reason, but I, the way that I've been looking at it is like stable coins are already regulated. If you understand it properly, there's no way for you to get stable coins into your bank account, except through a KYC account. You cannot put USDC in your bank of America account without going through Coinbase and Coinbase has your social security number and your you know, ID. So, they're already regulated as on-ramps and op-ramps. Now, what the SEC is basically going to step forward and do is put out guidance for how these companies should report the balances. So, you know, how many assets are backing this, prove it, get an accounting firm to sign off it on it. You have to do that once a month or once a quarter or whatever it is. Those are all really, really good things for the market. They would be bad if let's say USDT is labeled as illegal or they try to regulate USDT and USDT turns out to be a, a scam and it doesn't have any assets backing it, that those would be bad events. Again, highly unlikely USDT's already released a lot of the documents. We're already very aware of how much money is backing them. And then the third worst case scenario would be that the SEC comes out and says, you know, algorithmic stablecoins are illegal. Would be absolutely insane for them to do something like that. And also very, very unlikely 
if anything, algorithmic stablecoins are a really, really good play. Cough, cough, Luna, because you basically have on-chain data, fully public, updated in real time, proving the legitimacy of the ba- assets backing this this currency or this stablecoin. Um, so I, I think that the SEC is going to put out guidance that'll make algorithmic stablecoins. It, it will give them a paradigm to work in and thrive in and grow in that will help the market grow. And these regulations, as they come out, as we get the approval of the SEC, you will then see the largest funds in the world begin to allocate. Because if the SEC stamps off on USDC as a regulated asset, then all of a sudden your mom and pop small cap hedge fund that's managing $100 million has no issue getting USDC. And if they're smart, they'll hire some 25-year-old engineer that shows them how to do stable swaps on curve and earn 6% a year on USDC with only smart contract risk that they can then buy insurance for through legitimate insurance companies that are also trying to get involved in the space. And all of a sudden we get, you know, trillions of dollars of stable coin assets unlocked and pushed into this market. Yeah, I would agree. I think the the main just it's important to remember the main concern of these regulators is to protect investors, yep. and they look at history to see what's happened. And essentially, when assets are not fully backed, that's when yep. there's the most risk. So they've basically come out and said that that's their biggest concern. And USDC preemptively converted some of their balance sheet away from fixed fixed income products and back into cash essentially so just to mitigate that so they like if every single person came to usdc and said i want my money back they would be able to fulfill it in the same day the sec is going to like that what happens with usdt i think is a different story but usdt is not heavily used in the united states Mm -hmm. anyways yeah at the end of the day as much as cyberpunk reality is what created bitcoin and crypto And this goes back to what I was saying in the very beginning is like Bitcoin and ETH are now being invested in by regulated multi-billion dollar companies. Those companies need regulation and frameworks to continue to invest. So if you want that money to flow into crypto, which is a whole other topic and a whole other question, then regulation is a good thing. You know, if you don't want the Michael Saylors of the world, the Elon Musks of the world, the Jeff Bezos's of the world buying Bitcoin and ETH, then yeah, regulation is bad because regulation is going to allow them to do that. Well, the, the big challenge is going to be DeFi regulation because it's so it's so different than anything yeah. we've ever seen. That's why we don't see that as, a, as an immediate potentiality. Uniswap just got subpoenaed in September. So it's going to take them a long time to figure out how Uniswap works. Is it a security? Is it? We do think that regulation is, is on the horizon, but for now it looks pretty unlikely in the next, you know, few weeks to months any asset that's trying to replicate a security seems like fair game 
And that's why you don't see Coinbase offering tokenized Tesla shares yep. and things like that. Because it's it's just, they've already come out and said, like, do not do that. So I don't see that as, a, as an immediate risk for most of the blue chip DeFi's. It's also up to the industry to, to help. And Coinbase said they're about to put out a an entire framework that they've been working with politicians and regulators on for the industry because they currently report to 50 different regulators, which is highly inefficient. And if you're a giant company, sure, you know, you'll figure out a way to manage it. But imagine a startup trying to, to, yeah. to deal with that. It's just a non-starter. So I think we'll see some, we're definitely going to see some activity here in the next couple of weeks. And then I think Coinbase is going to come out and say, hey, here we have the solution. Let's yeah. work on this together. So that that would be ideal and props to them for for coming out and doing well, and it. And I think a point, like it, it's important to realize a lot of altcoins are securities, right? I think I'll use Sushi again. For those of you that don't know, Sushi is a Uniswap competitor. And so Sushi is a governance token. You can vote on what's happening. It, it has buybacks. So like any transaction fees buy the token so you basically have dividends it, it's a security it it i don't know if it passes the howey test or it doesn't pass the howey test i forget but it the sec in the sec's eyes that's a security the question becomes how do they regulate it right like i think the worst thing that could happen short term is the sec just blanket statements us investors are not allowed to hold any crypto that we deem as a security here's the list that would be basically worst case scenario. I, super unlikely that that happens. If it does, the whole crypto market's gonna react very poorly. Then the next thing that's much more possible is that they basically come out and they say, these are securities and anyone who wants to sell them, AKA Coinbase or Binance US or FTX US, you have to meet these criteria. They basically change the laws for cryptocurrency securities and and what that means because is sushi swap going to report to the sec probably not they're not going to file k1s and things that traditional stock companies do they're going to be I don't know. They're, they're going to need an entirely new framework. And so that's what we're seeing being built today. And it would be very silly for the SEC to over-regulate them, similar to kind of what China just did, where they just outright ban everything. There would be tremendous uproar in the investor community in the United States, especially with how many billions of dollars are currently being invested into these markets. I think that about covers it. We've got an interesting next month. Some ETF approvals are supposed to or have to be approved or declined. And as long as we don't get some, you know, insane black swan regulation, which just seems extremely unlikely, I do think we go all time high end of year. So I'd love to see it. I, I think the the biggest thing that I'm watching for is exactly what you're saying. Do we get black swan regulation? So you know, being careful here. But if we don't, I totally agree. I think all-time highs are extremely likely. I think that the one thing that I think we're realizing in crypto is when everyone believes in the same narrative, 
it becomes more difficult to manifest. So I will say everybody believes Q4 Bitcoin's going to 100K. Uh, that's kind of the consensus for the most part. Or Q4 is going to be crazy. So take that as you will, but everybody thinks it's going to happen. So normally when everybody thinks one thing, they're not right. But last year, I think everybody thought we were going to all-time high, and we did. So we'll see. It's going to be fun to watch. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us on our website or in the app. We've got a chat there. You can talk to us or on Twitter. And see you next time. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, consider leaving us a positive review, and sharing us with your friends. To get in touch with us and learn more, visit tantralabs.io. Thanks for listening.